This is the Christian Way Podcast, and I'm your host, Eric Nathan. Today on the Christian Way, because last Sunday was Easter, we've decided to explore, was the resurrection real? What evidence is there for the Christian faith in Easter? You know, I think a lot of people probably have that question, especially since, you know, growing up in America, it is common to go to church on Easter and Christmas, but perhaps people don't know really why we celebrate. What's important? Is it Easter bunnies? Is it springtime? Uh, Is it chocolate and eggs? Is it spending time with family? Or is it something more? Well, today on The Christian Way, I have with me Dan Williams, who is the current director of Reasonable Faith in Whatcom County. And I wanted to talk to him about the history of Easter uh, and what evidence there is for Easter. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You know, in this current time of social distancing, uh, it is difficult sometimes to get together and to talk, but we were able to do it through the uh, wonderful wizardry of technology, and uh, I appreciate you joining us. So, so Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work with the Reasonable Faith chapter in Whatcom County. All right. Well, let's see a little bit about myself. Um, I'm retired. Uh, for one thing, I uh, was 38 years in the computer industry starting in 1980, so I saw it from its uh, early beginnings and uh, worked in that uh, in various capacities. And then, uh, I, uh, as I say, I retired and moved to Linden, Washington from uh, uh, Bothell, uh, Washington, uh, which is south of here, so I'm about 15 minutes from the Canadian border. Um, I, as far as, since this is ostensibly a Christian program, I, a little bit on that, I was not raised in a Christian home. I had no background in Christianity. Uh, my only exposure to it was my mother didn't like church very much at all. And I thought, and when I would ask Christians questions, they never seemed to be able to answer any of my questions. So I thought it was irrelevant. Um, then I, I met someone who could begin to answer my questions concerning why did he think God existed and why did he believe that the Bible had any credibility and, uh, you know, what was this uh, Christ person all about? Eventually, over the period of about a year, oh, I think it was about eight months, nine months of questioning and answering and talking and visiting with people, I came to believe that Jesus, as far as being the uh, who he said he was, which was the Savior of the world, the Lord, actually, eventually, of the universe, uh, and that God existed, and that this, this group of uh, answers uh, within the framework of Christianity a- actually answered all the, the really big questions of who I am, and where did I come from, and where did the universe come from, and and uh, what was our purpose in life, and all these big, meaningful questions we all ask. And uh, it answers those satisfactorily. And so I came to put my, uh, kind of transfer my loyalty and put my faith, as they say, in uh, Christ as my Lord and Savior. So from that time on, uh, that was about 53 years ago, I've been engaged in uh, uh, various aspects of uh, Christian ministry, 
while I was also engaged in earning a living. So cut to the chase now. Oh, by the way, by way of background, I've been married 50 years um, to my wife. We have four children. We have nine grandchildren. And uh, that's kind of the family background there. They all seem, and they all seem to be doing well. Um, that's good to hear. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> Even in the midst of this uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic, we all seem to be engaged in. In fact, the whole world seems to be engaged in, which uh, we'll get to in a little bit. Um, as far as uh, reasonable faith, uh, once once I retired and came and we moved to Linden, uh, Washington, which is, as I say, is near the border of Canada and is a lovely uh, rural uh, community up here, I was wondering, what should I do? And so I've always been interested in a field of Christian study called apologetics, which has, which we can talk about uh, in a little bit if you'd like to. And it has to do with answering questions concerning uh, reasons for the faith. It's kind of, uh, the Greek word has to do with uh, defending the faith uh, to people who ask you questions and reasons and want to know why you believe what you believe. And so uh, I was given an opportunity to become the director of the chapter here in Whatcom County, actually to start it. And that's what I've been doing for the last uh, couple of years since I've been up here is uh, speaking in various venues uh, on a variety of subjects, such as uh, oh, evidences for the existence of God and reasons why we think the resurrection of Jesus took place and is a historic event and has meaning for us today and what about how can God be good and omnipotent and omnibenevolent and there still be evil in the world like this virus things like that I've been speaking in various as I say churches and camps uh, various and uh, oh uh, other secular uh, venues and so it's been very interesting and that's what I've been doing so you mentioned the term apologetics, which I don't know, most people may not have heard it. Uh, they may kind of, you know, it's like, oh, apologetics, that sounds very complicated. Um, <laughs> tell us a little more. What What is apologetics? You mentioned it's the defense of the faith. Uh, but specifically, what are you attempting to do with that study? I went back to school, actually, and got a master's degree in it. So that's how interested I was in it. Um, the study of apologetics and then the and then kind of uh, discussing things that you uh, arrive at or conclusions you arrive at in the study has to do with uh, uh, studying the reasons for why you believe what you believe. So there's really two two areas of when we come to areas of belief, believing about anything, whether it's scientific beliefs or mathematical beliefs or theological beliefs. And that is, there's the why or what you believe. So what is it that I believe about X? And, and so, uh, you know, it could be physics, it could be chemistry, it could be, as I say, um, ethics. What, what is it that I believe? And you're able to express what it is you believe. Uh, some people are better than others. They have a more oh, coherent and well-developed sense of what they believe. So there's that aspect of of people's beliefs. What do I believe? Then there's the, well, why do you believe that side of things? And, you know, what are, and that's, that's the reasons that you have for your beliefs. And it could be intuition. It could be some authority that you've read. It could be 
my mother told me or my professor in college told me, and so I'm going to take their word for it, or I read a book. And so everybody has a set of why they believe, what they believe, reasons. And so apologetics, uh, the Greek word, uh, it was actually used for um, Socrates uh, defending himself in the, in the court of Athens when he was accused of... of uh, moving the youth away from belief in the gods by his reasoning. And so he gave his, and in, in, in Plato, there's this uh, tract called The Apology of Socrates. And in it, he defends himself and he defends his reasons. So when you come over to the Bible and, and you, you read it, you find that uh, different figures like the Apostle Paul actually gave his, and when you read it in Greek, it says he gave his apology to various people. He, he defended himself as to why he'd moved from being uh, a, um, uh, a Pharisee, a, a rabbi, uh, uh, completely antagonistic to the Christian faith as this new upstart belief in this uh, uh, Jesus who had, was a crucified, apparently Messiah. And he said, well, this can't possibly be true. He takes and he defends himself. He gives his apology and says, I've now moved over to actually believing in this person, Jesus, as the uh, Messiah. And, it, and I believe in him primarily based upon his resurrection. So apology is, a, is one of those transliterated terms from Greek that gets used. And if we were going to translate it, we'd probably say a reasoned defense if you were reading the Bible, or if you were reading the Word. So that's, apo that's apologetics. So it has a, a, has a kind of a positive aspect, and it has kind of a negative aspect. The positive aspect is I want to give people reasons for why I believe what I believe. And so it, there's a lot of positive things about this, you know, it, it, as far as, uh, well, God exists, and this gives us purpose, or the resurrection is true, and this gives us hope. Then there's a negative side to it where people actually might be accusing Christians of, um, of not believing correctly, like uh, accusing them of, of uh, saying, well, uh, there's all this evil in the world, God can't possibly exist, and so we, we end up defending, as it were, the character of God. And, um, uh, or, we, or some other accusation, well, what about the Crusades? And so we end up defending perhaps some aspect of, of the church in, in history. Um, so anyway, there's these two aspects. So uh, that's, that's a real brief rundown. It's interesting to see, especially during this time, and in fact, last weekend, very specifically, Christians all around the U.S., millions of people met in different ways. At our church, we did a live stream, um, and we have several hundred people uh, between children and, and adults who go to the church. And I, I think we probably had about that many people um, who were on the stream. But there were a lot of other ways that Christians looked to meet and celebrate. And it strikes me that as you are looking for ways to defend the faith, it strikes me that Easter being the core of this um, begs the first question, what is Easter? What does it even mean, and is it relevant in modern society? Uh, well, it certainly seems to be relevant in modern society because, as you just pointed out, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of people here in America and uh, really all over the world, uh, as Christianity is the largest 
uh, religious system, a religious body in the world, uh, in various ways met together uh, and they celebrated this historic event as the center of their, um, of their belief, the center of their faith. And so, obviously, it must have some very large significant in our, significance in our society. The first thing is, yes, my goodness, look at this. Uh, and people so, believe. People but, believe. But is their belief founded? <laughs> like, what is the evidence that Easter, that, uh, you know, that Christ rose? What is the evidence in history? Well, that's a, that is, I think, a very important question. What is the evidence that we have in history, because if you're celebrating or you believe in the truth of a historic event, and uh, and it could be anything like, you know, for instance, the signing of the Constitution of the United States, that's a historic event, and we base a lot of a lot of our uh, activity in in law on that. Uh, so we have this document. Then we say all these people got together and signed it, and we know that. But there were, of course, no video cameras. There was no, you know, no microphones like you and I have now. So why do we believe? So we have the record of that that's been written down in various places. And we, we rely on those records. We rely on the truthfulness of the people that were there, that they're reporting accurately. So as with all history, we look at the credibility of the witnesses to that historic event. The people who, and then we look at the credibility of the people who wrote it down, and we look at the likelihood of the event itself uh, from a historical standpoint. And so, what would be some evidences that we have for the resurrection? And uh, one of the evidences that we have is sounds sounds at first strange, but it's the fact that we have not only recorded in the Bible, but we have recorded in alternative sources, Roman sources and Jewish sources, that Jesus actually died by crucifixion. So Jesus was a real person, not only recorded in the Scripture, but also recorded in other texts from the yes. same time. Yes, we have, we have uh, nine, nine different uh, sources outside the Bible and uh, that we can go to and say, ah, this is, these people uh, recorded the fact that Jesus lived and that Jesus died. And so, uh, as far as modern scholarship is concerned, when we, when we canvass uh, writers, scholars, we say, well, what, what do you think about uh, the historicity of the Bible and the, and the life of Christ? They, almost everyone, there's very, very, very few people in the world that call into question the existence of Jesus or his death. They, they all agree, yes, this man lived, and he indeed died at the hands of the, of the Romans who were occupying Israel, uh, Palestine at the time. So this is not really called into question. And I would even, uh, I'll throw out a name out there, some, a very popularizer who, uh, of, I mean, he writes a lot of books. That's why a popularizer. He writes a lot of books. He's a, he's a New Testament scholar, Bart Ehrman, who is uh, uh, really classifies himself as an agnostic regarding uh, whether or not God exists, but he's still a New Testament scholar. 
And he has uh, he's written a book and uh, on this very subject, and he calls into question, did Jesus actually live? And being no friend to what I would consider orthodox Christianity, Ehrman comes up with, yes, of course he actually lived. There's Historically, there's no way to contest that. So Jesus lived and he died by crucifixion. That's that's the first point. And that's pretty well anchored in history. Nobody really contests that. And so that's the starting point. And so the second uh, fact that I would bring out upon which we, we, when we look at the resurrection, is the empty tomb. The tomb, pretty much everybody agrees that it is, it is historically verifiable that the tomb in which Jesus was laid after he died by crucifixion was empty. In other words, there's no body. Uh, the body was never produced. The body was never found. The, the, there, there's no physical remains that were ever discovered about this man who'd been crucified. And that's a, an agreed-upon pretty much fact by all scholars who look at, at history uh, pretty much objectively. Right. And, and you would think that uh, a small organization that was going around saying that its leader had risen from the dead could easily be um, disproven by showing them the body. That was that was the <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, I was in a uh, I was listening to a talk one time. Uh, it was a debate between a, a, a well-known atheist and a and a well-known Christian speaker, and they were debating. And the the uh, person who was uh, promoting atheism, or which is belief that there is no God, said, well, you Christians, there's no way to falsify your belief, and beliefs need to be uh, falsifiable and verifiable, and there's no way to do that. And I was sitting there thinking, well, there is. All you need to do is produce the body. (laughs) If you produce the body, you've just falsified my belief in Christ, because, uh, and we'll get to it, the, uh, in the, in the New Testament, this idea of falsification is introduced very, very early in the writings of the New Testament. And one of the chief proponents of Christianity, the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, you know, uh, a Pharisee who we talked about had come to faith in Christ due to the resurrection, which is another thing we can talk about. In any case, he, he says in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, that if Christ was not raised, then our faith is empty or vain, and we are still in our sins, and in fact, we're found to be antagonists of God, and we're of all men most to be pitied. This is the first century this is brought up, if, if, the, if the resurrection isn't true. So, back to the empty tomb, one of the, you, one of the if that's a fact of history, we need to have an explanation of why the tomb is empty. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, it, if you think of it as a current or a modern court of law, um, the prosecution uh, provides evidence that someone is guilty. But the default position is that the uh, the person that is being accused is innocent. In other words, what they're saying is true. And the prosecution has to provide evidence that what the um, the person they're accusing uh, is saying is wrong. And I think that's the point, is that you, there at, at no point would the Christian church have succeeded if there was strong evidence of any kind produced at the time that what they were saying was completely wrong in that Jesus 
was, uh, you know, he, he was out of the tomb. He was gone. There was no body. Right. Yes, very true. I mean, if this, if this, if it's agreed upon that this is one of the central ideas, one of the, the foundation building blocks or the, found, the foundation, if you will, of the Christian church, that it really begins with this very, very early concept in the first century that Jesus is, has risen from the dead. And, and this was not an expectation of his followers because they were all, as, as in the... Uh, and the documents that we have, the first century documents, which are the Gospels, and then later the epistles of the, of the, that have been written, the letters, if we find that this, this was not an expectation that they had, they were completely befuddled by the whole idea, and when, they, when the tomb actually is empty, no one thinks that Jesus has risen from the dead. The first people that get to the tomb that find the stone rolled away, the guards gone, and which is another thing, where did the guards go and why did they leave their post? And they get to the tomb, it's, it, there's, no, there's no body in it, and they don't conclude that it's a resurrection. They conclude that somebody stole the body. Right. Well, it, of course, wouldn't anyone rationally anyone. <laughs> conclude yes. the same? The rational thing is that a person who's been crucified by the Romans doesn't get up and walk around. Because if there's one thing the Romans, uh, the Roman uh, military was very good at, it was killing people. And they knew when people died. <laughs> they, were quite, they were quite clear. And there is no, historically, there's no recorded uh, incident where someone who has gone through the process of crucifixion lived. There's, which is also interesting. In other words, they, you could say, well, he, he, there's a theory called the swoon theory, mm -hmm. which is he passes out, Jesus passes out on the cross. The Romans mistakenly think he's dead somehow. They take him down from the cross, and he wakes up in the tomb. Well, that would mean that the Romans made a drastic mistake, and it also means that people can survive crucifixion, which indeed, once you investigate what crucifixion does to a person's body and the horrific treatment that it, the body receives and the fact that people actually die of suffocation as well as shock when they're going through crucifixion because you're hanging there on it, you find that, no, this is completely incredible. This is, this is more right. incredible almost than crucifixion. Well, not to mention the 24 hours prior of all of the abuse and torture that he took, including uh, while he was on the cross being stabbed in the side. Yes, there is that little incident that's recorded of being stabbed with a Roman spear through the side and, and the separation of uh, blood and serum where this, uh, it's already taken place that you have this separation that uh, occurs when a person dies. Right of blood and plasma. So you take all this and you've got this empty tomb. So people agree there's an empty tomb, we need to explain it. Now if you're a if you're a scholar who's not uh, hasn't put their faith uh, they're moved over and put their trust in that God exists and that Jesus rose from the dead, you'll look at the empty tomb and say, I don't know what happened. I I don't have an explanation for this. There's there's an empty tomb and we'll just have to go with that. But you see, it does beg for an explanation. The second point I wanted to bring up is the disciples. Everybody agrees on this. The disciples of Jesus were certain that they saw and spoke to the risen Jesus. They were certain of that. Whether or not that actually happened, that's in history. That's open to question. People will question that. But nobody questions the fact that the disciples, the close followers of Jesus, thought 
that they saw the risen Christ and that they spoke to him and they interacted with him. Now that begs for an explanation. The one, one explanation that's offered is, well, they all hallucinated. Well, all right. If hallucinations were group events, which they aren't, they're individual <laughs> events, then that might be an answer. But it's not a very good answer. And it means that, as was recorded in, again in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a pivotal passage, it says over 500 people saw the risen Jesus at one time. And you go, well, now we have to explain, you know, mob mass psychosis. Right. In, in addition to the fact that the authorities of the time didn't produce any evidence that would have perhaps wrecked their credibility. True. And that's and since there was real antagonism to this whole idea of, of Jesus leading this new group of people in this uh, proclamation of a kingdom and that he was the king and that, uh, you know, the, that he was actually the Messiah, ex long expected Messiah of Israel. There was huge antagonism to this in Jerusalem, which is the seat of where all of the uh, religious hierarchy lived. All they would have to do is produce the body. That's all they have to do. And the whole thing collapses and they don't do it. And they, apparently they can't do it, but because they certainly would have if they could have. And so you have, again, these people who think Jesus rose from the dead. The, the, the fourth fact is that based upon this, this, this seeing of the risen Jesus completely changed the lives of the people who saw him, who said they saw him. They went from a, from a group of very frightened individuals who, uh, who didn't really who had been scattered based upon the uh, uh, this treatment of their leader and his death. They, they became this uh, group of people who spoke out with authority and courage and were willing to die for, in the most painful ways, uh, for this newfound belief. So you have to ask the question, if this was simply a psychological event, or if they were making it up, or if they were lying and it was some sort of conspiracy, why would they die for this belief when they gained nothing from it but the fact that their family and friends thought they were crazy in order to espouse this? So once again, you have to answer that. There was really no power in Christianity in terms of political power or cultural power until hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years later. That's why when people say, well, they did it for power, and you have to ask, what power? What, right. what did they gain? What just, money just torture. did they... Just, <laughs> just torture. They well, that's, that sounds like fun. And right. so you, you, all of these facts of history, his death, his burial, the empty tomb, the fact that he's seen by his followers who didn't expect it, the fact that within Judaism there was no expectation of a, really, of a dying and rising Messiah until the end of time, uh, there was no expectation of resurrection except for the, the righteous dead, and that would be at the, when uh, the kingdom of God was inaugurated by God himself. There was no tradition of, of the idea um, of one man rising from the dead. The concept of the kingdom of God was to be a political entity where Israel would be the center of the, of the world and the center of empires. And here Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. What sense does that make to a first century <laughs> Jew? Complete, yes, completely out of place for what completely they Completely out of place. 
And yet, these Jewish people, and remember, we're not talking about Gentiles now who had all kinds of different beliefs of, of gods and of dying and rising gods who were ag agrarian in nature that would happen every year. And they, have no, they have no tradition of a, of a strict monotheism as the Jews have. Here you have people proclaiming that this has taken place in history. It changes their lives, and they go around preaching this good news of the risen Messiah and the fact that you can have hope for the future of resurrection yourself based upon the fact of Jesus rising. So let's go to, let's go to this Easter and the COVID-19 difficulty that we're having now all over the world. By the way, um, that's a whole interesting sociological topic in itself is that, and economic, is that the entire world is immersed right now and based upon our, our uh, communication now we have through the internet and through other media, we all know what's going on all over the world. It's not like you have the Black Plague happening in Europe and people over here in America don't know anything about it. It's like now we have this amazing situation going on, and yet people gather together and say, we have hope in Jesus. Millions across the world across the world. Why do we have this hope? Because he really rose from the dead. Really. Like, it's not, he didn't rise from the dead because I believe it. He rose from the dead whether I believe it or not. And so this is a fact of history upon which we base our confidence. So when someone says to me, well, you just have faith, I go, yes, but it's what and who I have faith in that's important. Everybody has faith. I put my faith in the historic verifiability of this person who rose from the dead and changed the lives of his followers such that they wrote about it, lived it out, and died for it. So this is not a faith based upon some philosophical concept or some religious feeling I have, which I may have religious feelings, of course, not to denigrate those, but it's not based upon my religious feelings. Rather, it's based upon this historic event that really did take place. You know, it's an incredible thing to think about the millions of people around the world all worshiping together within a single time frame, a single 24-hour day, celebrating something that happened 2,000-plus years ago that millions of people throughout history celebrated near the same time and we're willing to lay down their lives to protect. That, to me, is incredible. And I uh, couldn't agree more. And, and the very fact that that is happening today, does you have to ask the question, what, what would it, what event would it be that would motivate people to do that, you know, to still be celebrating this event and to live out their lives uh, attempting to live out their lives as best they understand it in the light of that event. What, you know, and you, you have to look at that and say, well, you know, this, this is something that needs to be answered. And so as we started off talking about apologetics, this is, this is where we start to give the what we believe is the resurrection. The why we believe it is all of those things we've been talking about. You know, apologetics, it strikes me that, you know, although it's a term that we don't hear much and we don't seem to 
you know, as a church, we may not really even understand why we would do it. Um, what's important is that the defense of our faith is not some dead conversation. It is a real living explanation of what transforms us uh, and why we live for Christ, why we follow the Christian way. I think that, you know, being the name of the podcast is The Christian Way, the goal is to expose people to ideas and to ministers of the gospel that they might not otherwise get. Very well said. I think that uh, when we talk about the Christian way, interestingly enough, that's what it was called in the in the first century prior to it act being called Christianity. It was called the way. And you see this in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, there, we're, and what are we doing? We're following the way. What is the way? The way of Jesus. Okay. Eventually, it's called Christianity because... Um, in the in the uh, in the Roman Empire and in other parts of the world, when you followed a certain deity or you followed a certain teaching, you would be called after the person who started that. So you would be called a Dionysian if you followed Dionysius uh, in his uh, in his different uh, you know actually in his different orgies. And uh, <laughs> right. but if you followed his teaching, you would be called after the leader or after the founder of that particular. Uh, religious movement or philosophical movement. You'd be called a Platonist if you follow the teachings of uh, Plato. And so being called a Christian is, I'm following Christ. Uh, that's who my leader is. And so, uh, yes, I mean, uh, so sometimes I, 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 I don't even use the term apologetics when I talk to people because it's not a term that's that people use. It's not a it's not a, a, a normal something you would hear anybody talk, ever talk about. It sounds weird, <laughs> and I always get the What do you mean? You're apologizing? Right, I right. Say, yes, I'm, you're an uh, apologizer I'm, of. I'm an what? apologizer. <laughs> I, uh, I apologize a lot. I probably should, but uh, and so you rather I would talk about. That's why the group here in Whatcom County is not called apologetics for Christ, it's called reasonable faith. And the whole idea is that, that uh, and for many people, that's an oxymoron. They say, wait, I thought people, you just had faith. And for them, faith is believing something without evidence. That's how it's often defined. Right. Um, and so I would say, no, uh, actually faith, usually people have confidence, because that's way, one way you could translate uh, the Greek word for faith. Um, People generally have confidence in something because they have reasons for having that confidence. And so uh, when I say that I have confidence or I have faith in Christ, I have reasons for that, which I can enumerate if you're interested. And uh, sometimes people aren't, sometimes they're not. But there's this concept of in our culture that if I say I'm a person of faith, that means I'm a person with, who doesn't reason, who doesn't think, who doesn't reflect. I, I just believe things as they're proposed to me. And I go, well, that could be true in some instances, but in this case, uh, no, it's because I do have reasons. So that's why we call it reasonable faith. And that can get you into some conversations, I'll tell you. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. I, I think, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I've grown up in the Christian church, and I accepted Christ very young. 
Um, although, of course, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you're just magically a Christian forever. Uh, there is a lot of work and, and uh, there's a lot of uh, thought that has to go into it. But, you know, I think it's interesting that people will say, and most people, at least in the United States, will say, oh, you know, Jesus, he was, he was a good teacher. But God, yeah, I don't know if I believe that he was God. You know, I mean, he was a good teacher in history. But listen to what he says. This is, I mean, one of the most important things I think about Jesus is that he never apologized <laughs> for saying he was the answer. In John 11, 25 and 26, he, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, he was talking to uh, Lazarus's sisters. Um, I think it was uh, Martha and Mary, right? Yes. And, and he was talking about um, that he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. But at the same time, he was talking about being able to resurrect all of us. Now, that doesn't sound like just a, just a normal teacher. He's actually saying, I am the way. Yes, he is. And uh, that's rather a spectacular thing to say. Interestingly enough, along those lines, when you look at other religious systems and other great teachers like the, the Buddha or uh, Muhammad or uh, Lao Tzu, uh, they never made affirmations like this. They never made these kinds of claims. Um, they would say, well, I'm going to teach you a, a better way or let's discuss a better way or let's talk about enlightenment and coming into some truth. But they would never say, look, you need to believe in me. I am the resurrection of the life. This is, this is um, I think C.S. Lewis said, this is on the level of someone declaring they're a poached egg. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, this, which you wouldn't believe looking at them. And so for Jesus to say, I'm the resurrection of the life, and then the next uh, part of that passage you were reading in John 11, she says, he says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, I do. And then she says something interesting. I believe that in the last day, uh, I will. He, Lazarus, my brother, will be raised up, and so will I. Because she's not looking for resurrection at that point. Right. She's looking for resurrection in the far future. And he says, he, he as it were, he says, watch this. And he goes and he raises Lazarus, and she gets it. She goes, oh my goodness, this this person that I'm talking to has the power to raise the dead. Oh my goodness. And she, she uh, moves in the direction of believing. But remember, this is, this is all new stuff in the first century. So Jesus, this isn't understood until he actually rises from the dead. And, and absolutely mind-blowing to the Jews at the time as well. Completely. Completely mind-blowing. And so uh, he says uh, in Mark 16, uh, they said uh, they appear, they People arrive at the tomb, and they and they meet up with some some personages uh, identified as angels, and they say, uh, uh, and this person who's at the tomb says, "Don't be alarmed," because they're saying because the tomb is empty. There's no Jesus in there. He says you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. They would all be nodding yes, and they and they say he is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. They point. See in there, <laughs> no body. Now, you have to do something with that. Again, so... The... I, I just can imagine just kind of the mind-blowing 
experience that that would be. One, that you're talking to an angel, who I can't imagine was quite the same as talking to a normal person. And I wouldn't two, think so. Recognizing that this this tomb where you know he was put, because you probably watched them roll the stone in front of it, it right. not only is open, but he's not there. Right, right. And if you believe the, the uh, Gospels, uh, that they're accurate historical documents. That they're whether you believe they're inspired or not, just that they're accurate. Then this this tomb is a new tomb. Nobody's been in it before. It's identified as that. There's a heavy stone that's rolled in the way, so it would take some power to roll it back. And there's a guard set on it and a seal put on it that says, you know, we're going to guard this and make sure nobody steals the body. So, again, we have historic evidence that says, you know, if the tomb is empty and nobody stole the body, then where's the body? And the right. answer of the early church is, the early, earliest people on the scene is, oh, we've met him, we've talked to him, we've had lunch with him, um, he's here, and he, appear, and he appeared, as it says, for over 40 days. Again, this, this, this is not something without evidence, this is something with tremendous evidence that I think sometimes people are not really aware of. Well, and, and think, too, about the authorities of the time, that they requested a Roman guard, or at least a guard, maybe it wasn't Roman, but a guard in front of the tomb and a seal, which was an authoritative seal of the time, that said, if you move this, you will die. They knew that this would be a line of attack that his followers would would look for, right? That if they stole right. the body and then claimed he, that he was risen, then exactly what Jesus said would have come to pass. So they, they were right. trying to prevent it. Right, they were. And apparently they were unsuccessful. <laughs> Significantly. So, here we are 2,000 so we, years later. <laughs> indeed. So here we are today, and... Um, just as the you can say, well, this, all this history is very good. What does this mean to me? Because people often, you know, get there eventually. Say, what does this mean to me? And just, I think one of the things it means, especially in this in this time where we're all, you know, what is it? We're self isolating. I think we've come up with this term, and uh, we're all people are very they're frightened and they're wary and they're wondering what's going to happen and they're wondering about the economy and they're just there's a lot of there's a lot of uh worry about all this when we look at this we say well what significance is the resurrection the significance is is that this world that we live in is not just a natural world but there is a supernatural element to it that says that there is meaning and purpose to it all and the meaning and purpose is that God actually exists and that he actually raises people from the dead. And we have a hope in that. It's, we're, not, we're not just relying on our own abilities and our own uh, uh, trying to figure everything out. You know? In other words, uh, it's, there's, a, there's a bigger scope, or there can be a bigger scope to our thinking, and it can be around this idea that God exists and is involved in our lives to the point where he loves us enough to sacrifice himself on the cross, and not only that, but be resurrected and show us the way to an eternal kind of life. I think this is this is a tremendous application of the resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that it it also exposes to the world that our God keeps His promise. He says, "I'm going to rise." 
And then he rises. <laughs> and in the yes. same way, he says, I will raise you and he will raise us, right? So the the promise that he kept is evidence that the faith we have that he will raise us, that he will save us from death, um, whether it be, you know, well, certainly it's spiritual death, but um, that promise is true. Yes. And and it's not true because I, I want it to be true. Rather, it's true because of this historic event that actually took place. And so I think this is this is where, as you said earlier, this is where um, defending the faith in a sense of giving reasons is, I think, is so important. Is people can have a very can have a uh, a verif how would I say this a verifiable faith as it were. It's not just I hope so, but it's I hope so because I've got this evidence. And so it's it's a it, I think it can be very encouraging to people. So. You know, this has been a really great conversation, and I appreciate you taking the time. I wanted to ask you, um, if people were interested in finding out more about what you do or more about perhaps this topic, do you have a resources or do you have a website or a way people can contact you? Yes, they should. This? Well, they should just go to reasonablefaith.org. Um, the website is uh, for the organization, and then you'll see if you want to uh, get in touch with me. You can uh, just click on uh, chapters and it'll come up Washington. And there I am, Lyndon, <laughs> Washington, Whatcom County. And uh, they, my email is on there. So it's, uh, and my email is uh, 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 Dan Williams and uh, at reasonablefaith.org. Dan Williams at reasonablefaith.org. Excellent. And I'll yeah. include those links in the show notes as well so people can yeah. uh, go to it. Well, I just wanted to, you know, end this here and say, you know, thank you very much. This, you know, this last week was Easter week, and I, I think it's really important to understand, um, you know, especially since this is the Christian Way podcast, what is the basis for the Christian Way? And um, I, you know, I want to say, you know, we are a ministry of the Bridge Community Hope Center uh, based in Birch Bay, uh, but we we really have a, a desire and a passion to reach the entire community um, and anyone else who's listening outside of uh, Washington State uh, that. You are not alone in your faith. You have the tools. There are other people who are uh, who are out there defending the faith with you. And I just want to thank you, Dan, for taking this time with us. Certainly. Thank you. Appreciate it.